Pastor Xavier Reese says that compromise never amounts to more than second best. Our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of Jordan. Not so. They would be the heirs of their own inheritance, not God's. Oh, be careful that you don't become the heir of your own inheritance, apart from God's inheritance. You see, the explanation of the tribes was simply a compromise. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In his first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul compared himself to the disciplined runners of the Isthmian Games. He was illustrating why it's important to resist fleshly desires, warning of their potential to distract a spiritual walk from finishing well. But as for the children of Israel nearing the end of their journey through the wilderness, regrettably we see some getting distracted at the point of entering in the land of Canaan. In fact, a couple of tribes had chosen to settle for second best by settling on the wrong side of the Jordan River. Pastor Xavier has been leading a Simple Truth study series through the book of Numbers and continues in chapter 32 today with a caution for any child of God wandering astray from completing God's will. Let's listen. The 40 year of wandering is over and the first generation has died in the wilderness. The second census has been taken the man Joshua has been chosen by God to be the leader. And the land is to be divided up by lots and according to the size of each tribe. Just when everything seemed to be going right, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh expressed to Moses the desire to make their home on the east side of the Jordan River. Isn't that a common occurrence? When everything is going right, when God has been doing so much, and we have been doing so well, then all of a sudden, here we come, and we throw a monkey wrench in the whole thing. All that God does, and I never stop to be amazed of the mess that people get themselves into in the church of Jesus Christ after all that God has done to bless them. It, it happens all the time. The lesson before us is a classic example of settling for God's second best rather than embracing God's first best. It's a common sin of the believer. It's very tempting. We want to look at the developing dialogue and we want to observe some important lessons for our lives and then finish up by pointing some very practical consequences of choosing second best. Second best is nothing to take lightly. Second best is always short of God's first best. And if we don't guard our flesh if we don't allow God to deal with us that can be the picture of our life the entire chapter runs pretty long 42 verses I'm not going to read it all completely through as before but we'll take each section read it make commentary and we'll finish up with the consequences 
Let me give you the divisions. Verses 1 through 5, you have the petition of the tribes. Verses 6 through 15, you have the reaction of Moses. Verses 16 through 19, you have the explanation of the tribes. And then verse 20 through 32, you have the agreement of Moses and the tribes. And then in verses 33 through 42, you have the occupation of the land by the tribes. Let's look at verses 1 through 5, the petition of the tribes. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jeshur and the land of Gilead and the neat that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elialeh, Sheban, Nebo, and Beom, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel, is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession, and do not take us over the Jordan. The petition of the tribes. Notice, first of all, the tribes' petition were three of them. They are given to us. You have the tribe of Reuben, Jacob's oldest son. If you remember when Jacob prophesied about his children in Genesis, he said that uh, Reuben was as unstable as water. Remember, he was his firstborn, and he had gone up to his father's bed and defiled his concubine. It's interesting that if we are not consistent in our commitment to God, we become as unstable as water. James says, a double-minded man will receive nothing. If you're always vacillating, there's two reasons for that. Number one, you have an identity problem. You don't know who you are. And secondly, you don't know where you're going. When you know who you are, you know you're a Christian, you know God has called you, you know where you're going. And you go there. Your confidence is in what God has done. You don't have to impress the people. You don't have to be moved by outside things, but you know who you are, and therefore you take the direction God has taken you. And if we're not careful, the constant vacillation of our lives as Reuben, unstable, then that becomes a pattern of our life, and it carries over to everything in our life. And we're not sure of anything. The second one's the tribe of Gad. Now remember, that Gad occupied that place on the other side of the galley. It was on the Transjordan. Remember when Jesus went to the Gadarenes and he cast out the demons from that man, that legion, and they asked permission to be cast into the pigs? Gadarenes. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> They're descendants of Gad. Then you have the half-tribe of Manasseh, which was one of the sons of Joseph. These are the three tribes. But notice their reasoning in verse 1 also. They were a great multitude. Reuben had 43,700. Gad had 45,500. Manasseh had 52,700. Half of that would be 26,350. A grand total of 141,900. A lot of people. But notice their reasoning. 
First, were a great multitude. Secondly, they saw the land was good for livestock. They were observing. They were beginning to call the shots. Now, they're not doing it in a vacuum. They're doing it with the backdrop of knowing God's perfect will. And they're assessing things on their own account now. Notice thirdly, the petition was solicited in verses 2 and 4. The leaders were Moses, Eliezer the priest, and the leaders of the congregation. You find them in verse 2. The five kings are named in verse 3, of which are in relationship to the kingdom of Sihon the king of the Amorites and king of Og of the king of Basham. And you find that in verse 33. You see, the land had already been conquered. It was easy street. Those people who were always looking for easy street end up getting themselves in trouble. Are you busy for the Lord? And so here the petition is solicited. The rationale is stated in verse 4. First, the Lord defeated them. Therefore, we are entitled to it. That's reasonable, huh? God never said that. Secondly, the land is for the livestock. And we have livestock. Two and two makes four. It was their own observation. It was their own conclusions. And therefore, the petition was stated in verse 5. Let this land be given to us. And then, do not take us over the Jordan. As if Jordan was such a bad place. Like when you say, oh, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to hell. I don't want to go to heaven. Don't let me go to heaven. I mean, if that's what God has for you, do you think God's going to give us the worst? And sometimes Christians look at what God desires for their life as if, Lord, anything but that. And it's evidence that we are assessing things on our own intellectual level. You see, the petition of the tribes was void of God's will. God's will is not even in here. And so with each of us, if we begin to assess things on our own intellect and reason, then our petitions will be void of God's will. We will just start down the path and we will pursue that which is pulling us. It's like a hook, like a carrot, and it just draws us. Notice in verses 6 through 15, you have the reaction of Moses. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now, why will you discourage the hearts of the children of Israel from going over to the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them out away to Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up into the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the hearts of the children of Israel, so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused in that day, and he swore and no saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt, from the twenty years old and above, shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Underline that. Never miss that. They haven't wholly followed me. God has not called you to be a part-time Christian. God has called you to be a Christian. Except Caleb, the son of Penu, the Kidzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have followed me, what? Holy. There it is. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. 
And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave him, leave them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all this people. Mark that well. God would hold them responsible for the people. Oh, the tragedy and, and the consequences that my life affects those around me. I affect, first of all, my wife. I affect my children. I affect those who are under me. And when I am the source of leading people away from God, if I am teaching people that which takes them away from God, they will have to pay for their sin, but God's going to hold me responsible for the stumbling of every person like that. See, these are the things sometimes we just kind of put, ah, oh, well, the Lord knows. He does know, so be careful. He does hold us responsible. Moses says three things in his reaction here. First, in verse 6, will you sit idle while your brethren go to war? What was he implying here? First, lack of commitment is the idea. Lack of commitment. Now will you discourage the hearts of the children? He says in verse 7. But see, first of all, he says, will you be idle while they go out to war? You see, the lack of commitment is the idea. They had their part and they were satisfied. A lot of people are like that. They want to do the least to get what they need, and after that, it's all over with. There's more, no more incentive. There's no more drive. But also, it's looking out for self as the focus. You're the primary individual you're concerned with, no one else. And once that's achieved, then there's no need to go on. And that's why he phrases it like that. But notice, secondly, the second question in verse 7 through 13, will you discourage the hearts of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Notice the outrage. Now, will you discourage the hearts of the children? In other words, the petition implies it is senseless. In view of all that has happened, will you now discourage? It's a senseless petition. It's a senseless plan. Why would you do that? Parents, you, you, you've said that many times. Your children, you say, what? You say, what possessed you? What do we mean by that? Are we meaning that something outside of himself pulled him. And, and you know, What possessed you? It's not, it doesn't sound like you. This is the sense. Will you now do this and discourage the heart of the children of Israel? In view of what? In view of all that has happened. And sometimes our petitions and the things we want to do is like God would say, will you now, in view of all I have done, now you want this? Why? The failure to enter the land occurred before with their fathers at Kadesh. He tells that to them in verses 8 and 9. You remember the story. They went in and 10 came back with a bad report. Two were with a favorable report. They saw the trees. They saw the, the boilers. They saw the graves. They brought some back. They saw the tall cities. They saw the giants in the land and they freaked out. 
and they perished. And so the Lord condemned them to die in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb, verses 10 through 13 says. They observe carnage, the greatest death march that Israel has ever experienced. They observed it. They just got through with it. You think they would learn. We read this passage, and as Christians, everyone says, what is the matter with We do the very same thing. That's why 1 Corinthians 10 says, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. And you have to put it in the context. Before that, he's speaking about the wilderness experience. You think we would learn from other people's lives. We don't, do we? What is it? It's that self-will. It's that sense of I know best. I know God is God, but, you know, and we think that we're the exception. The third question he places is verses 14 through 15. Will you be like your fathers, a brood of sinful men? <laughs> First, to increase the fierce anger of the Lord in verse 14. God would not just bring anger for the heck of it. They would be the ones who were tempting the Lord. They knew God's will. They were going against it. Secondly, to turn them away from following the Lord. Verse 15, the first portion. Not only to bring wrath of God, but actually leading the people away from God. What a danger that is when we start living our lives the way we want and others follow. But thirdly, to leave them in the wilderness and have God destroy all the people. You see, God, God has to deal with us. God has to be just. And if there is disobedience, then God goes after you. The Bible says that He chastens us. He reprimands us. You see, the reaction of Moses was outrage because they knew better. Now, the explanation of the tribes is interesting in verses 16 through 19. He says, Then they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go to, before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of the Jordan. The explanation of the tribes is an interesting one. Notice in verse 16, they would first build secure places for their livestock and children. Once again, they're considering themselves first. And it sounds pretty commendable at first because they have a plan, which brings us to another interesting point. When you get to this point, you've already thought about it pretty well. You've meditated upon it, you have a plan, you have it all worked out, and you have all the answers for those who will say, yeah, but how about this? How about that? How about the scriptures? You've got all the answers. You're already committed. 
It hasn't been something that's been casual. It's been something that you've thought about, you've meditated, you've plotted out, you've figured out, hey, you're going for it. Verse 17, they would go armed, ready to go to war until they had brought them into their place while their children dwell safely in the Transjordan side. Notice that they go along with it. Well, we're part of you and we're going to be part of this, but, but, but they're distant. And many people say, well, you know, yeah, I, I want to get involved. I'm going to do this. And, and, and they are, but, but they're distant. They're involved, but they're not committed. You understand the difference? And that's a half heart. It's like if you're married to a man or a woman who's involved but not committed. And so he said, you know, hon, I want to marry you and I want to be involved with you but not committed. How many young ladies say, oh, yes, okay. <laughs> Notice thirdly in verse 18, they would not return to their homes till every one of the children of Israel had received his inheritance. Commendable, but still back in their heart. They were thinking of their own land. Why were they doing this? Only so they can come back and possess their own land. The benefit was still for self, not for the rest of the people. Fourth and last, in verse 19, they would not inherit with them on the west side of Jordan. Listen to two things. They had made their decision in verse 19. It says, For we will not inherit with them on the other side of Jordan and beyond. That's affirmative. Their mind is made up. We will not go over Jordan. God said, I've given you an inheritance in Jordan. Notice secondly, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of Jordan. Not so. They would be the heirs of their own inheritance, not God's. Oh, be careful that you don't become the heir of your own inheritance apart from God's inheritance. Your inheritance will bring more hurt to you than you can handle. I guarantee you. But notice how they have already convinced themselves. Now they are proclaiming it as if it is God's revelation. My question at this point is, why did Moses go along with it? We don't get no reason. There are many things in the Bible that we don't get any reason for. And we don't have to focus on that. The thing is, what can we learn in this passage for us? You know, God allowed concubines in the Old Testament, but we know it wasn't His perfect will. Why did He allow it? I don't know. <laughs> A lot of things I don't know. But now they've come to the place where it's almost as if God has said this, but He hasn't. You see, the explanation of the tribes was simply a compromise. Sheer compromise. And you and I know exactly when we are compromising. You and I know in the backdrop of God's revealed word when we are compromising. No one has to tell us. We know. But if we're not quick to give heed to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we begin to plot out, to set the questions, to get the answers, to make the plans, and to just get all prepared. And we keep going down that path. The explanation of the tribes was a compromise. 
Nothing short of that. Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of compromise when we lean on our own understanding. We've been listening to a study drawn from the 32nd chapter of the book of Numbers. And there's much more of this message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply, So You Want Second Best. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is, So You Want Second Best, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 